Wars. Episode 0029. Training Day Copland. This podcast ain't got shit on King Kong. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Wars Podcast, episode 0029. I'm your host, Kyle, and I brought my smiles and cries. This shit's chess, not checkers. I'm Drew. I had a quote and I left my phone downstairs. I'm Phil. Do, do the King Kong one. God damn it. You could do King what? Kong ain't got nothing on Phil. Because yeah. you did your hand like you King were. Kong ain't got shit on Denzel Washington. We have a crooked cop matchup here, which we have been stoked about. Phil and I have been like just hitting that training day bell for a while. Oh, yeah. We love crooked cops around yeah, here. That's right. So glad we finally get to do it. I think if you could describe this matchup, this episode with one adage, it would be if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because uh, one thing I love beyond the crooked cop thing is this kind of unsuspecting hero element too. We got Ethan Hawks, Jake, and then we got Freddy, these kind of naive, you know, in, in Sly's case, a little dumb, a <laughs> little fat, a little old. Oh, but- Sly's <laughs> playing another dumb guy? Wow. Uh, uh, what a surprise. Uh, uh, I'm right here. I, 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 I asked for your opinion, okay? I, I made Rocky, okay? But uh, I love this unsuspecting hero element, and, and what's really interesting is, beyond the crooked cop thing, there's the moral quandary. How flexible can your morals be? Because it's interesting, when you look at the dark side, if you want to call it evil, if you want to call it the bad guys, whatever it is, they don't play by a rule book. Cops, supposedly supposed to play by a rule book, we know how that goes in real life and in fiction, but you know, you're automatically outmanned, outgunned in that situation because you have to play by a certain set of rules. So in both of these films are, you know, our naive, whatever you want to call them, our unsuspecting heroes have to figure out how morally flexible can I be to take down the bad guy? And we see this with Freddy because Freddy has to steal the files from the internal affairs office. So he steals information to make that happen. But what's interesting is in I think we would all say, hey, we support Jake and we support Freddy. Yeah, they had to do a little wrong to bring down Alonzo or bring down the bad organization. But it's like, I kind of thought, I don't know about you, but it's like, I thought about Ethan Hawke's character in, and Freddy beyond the movie. I'm like, isn't that the first step? You take a bribe here, you do a little thing here. Yeah. Then you're Alonzo. And then you're in the mob as a cop. It's like, yes, this time it worked out, but is this the first step? Because Alonzo alludes throughout the whole film. was like, I used to be like you. You know, I, yeah. used, to, I used to be a good guy. I used to want to take down bad guys. It just takes one little thing. It's interesting, and I've, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I grew up, my dad was a decorated narcotics officer, but I saw, it. this is for real, I did see how that line of work, being around bad guys, pretending to buy drugs, selling drugs as a cop, it did degrade his, and I won't get into it, but his his sense of right or wrong in real life sure. were completely fucked up. Dude, that scene in the car when he's walking him through, like, I used to be just like you. It starts like this, and then this happens, and then this happens. And then you're there's yeah. They're like, oh my god! Like he almost convinces me as the audience, like, yeah, you almost start pulling for him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, this is okay. Yeah. Part of that's because it's Denzel. Like, we love you, Denzel. <sighs> Dude, whatever yeah. you do is okay. Well, well it's also that. that like I think the illustration that it illustrates so well <laughs> moral flexibility is the fact that like so much of life truly exists in that gray area, and I think that's something that humans as a whole have a really hard time with. It, like, we don't like the gray area. Mm. We want there to be these defined lines and these sides. We want to be able to pick teams or whatever. And I think both of these movies did a really good job at illustrating it and, and kind of left the, the morality of it up to the viewer. Um, did it? I mean, maybe, s- maybe scooping not. a quarter of a million <clears throat> dollars right. off the top of a drug bus is not really morally gray. Yeah, but it, in in general, it, it 
kind of paints that picture that like, well, if you want to take down, you know, really shitty situations in the street, do you need to kind of become like them in a certain way mm, in order to do it? Right. And, and the same thing with Copland. It's like, you know, if you're wanting to take down this situation, you're also having to steal and you're also having to do these things that you thought you would never do. So there's a lot of gray and everybody's black and white. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Well said. Training day was so enthralling. I was just from the from the moment I started watching it, and I had never seen it. Like I, had, which I is crazy. It for the first time. I know it was crazy. It's such a cult classic. I watched it for the first time for this podcast a couple weeks ago, and it was just like such a such a ride. Like I just had so much fun with it, and Denzel was just in such command. He was like that every command scene, is the word. That he is the word. He was just like alpha male, just dominating. Like made everybody that was on screen with him better, but was clearly in control. And just it was like I mean, it was like Michael Jordan just dominating, like just at the top of his game. Well Whereas said. the other movie Copland you know obviously there I get similarities with the the dirty cops and all all that and it was fun I really enjoyed it I felt like Sly was kind of like aging Charles Barkley like with the rockets like he was like kind of cumbersome like had seen better days still good still enjoyable gets the job done but just it was not the Sly that we all know and love I like to see you do what I do I like to see you get get in front of a microphone you feel strong you fucking talk about the way I look It's easy. It's easy. You sit in your chair over your fucking lever. I mean, honestly, it was like a little surprising to see him like so overweight and so, but I think it played well into like the, he was supposed to be kind of slow and dumb and naive. He had the old car and he was not in, he wasn't NYPD. He was just across the, you know, bridge and like, he just, it felt, it felt uh, right for his character. But uh, yeah, I enjoy both movies. I'm, I'm excited to chat about them. Hell yeah. Phil, impressions. Yeah, man. Training day is a kind of, without getting too, too far into the way I rank movies in my mind. There are like the obvious brilliant films that are like undeniably great. And then there are like the personal favorites that they're good in their own right and in the niche that they play in. But like, you know, I could see why someone wouldn't like them, but I could also see why someone would love them. And like the Fast and the Furious is that for me. And also Training Day falls in that category. Like, I think it's a really interesting enthralling take on the the crooked cop thing. And it, I, I think it also calls into, you know, it, it challenges the viewer to think about what they define as, you know, the line, the the black and white line, like, you know, where where do your morals lie? Like, where, you know, what would you do in this situation? And just overall, it is a really fun, just enthralling movie to watch. It's it's one of my, like, kind of cult favorites in uh, Copland watch for the first time for this podcast. And, I mean, to be honest, I felt like it was a movie that should have been better than it was. Like, the cast was huge. The budget was obviously huge. Yeah. Like, everything about it screamed, this should have been great and it wasn't but to me I tried to look past that and and look at the point they were trying to make and the story they were trying to tell and I felt like it was trying to tell a really important story and get some really important points across but overall I I thoroughly enjoyed both of them like Training Day is just a a cult classic in its own right and then Copland is is kind of also but for the wrong reasons so I just got the overwhelming sense and I think I was watching with you Kyle and I told you this but they really wanted it to be like a Goodfellas Pulp Fiction Casino kind of movie with that cast like you could mm-hmm. tell that's what they were going for and it just it fell flat for me a little they bit. had all the scorsese's guys they had they even yeah. had frank vinson in there yeah. and it had all the pieces but the, the the whole picture was off and it's cool to cover ray liotta this week mm-hmm. you know may he yeah. rest in peace. god rest his soul i'm glad you said that he, he was fan fantastic in this film yeah one, I text, one of his top roles i texted you guys the minute that i read that i was just goodfellas is my second favorite film my favorite scene probably of all time in film is the the laughing 
at Joe Pesci's storytelling. Uh, yeah. That that gif is a classic. It's I mean, my it's favorite go-to. fucking scene ever. And now that Ray Liotta died, I'm just like, oh, and then we covered this. It's crazy. We've covered a decent amount of Ray on this podcast. Yeah, she Field was Joe dreams. Jackson. Yep. God rest your soul, Ray. We love you. We miss you. My impressions, I always loved Training Day. Training Day was a movie I watched a lot after it came out. It was one of the early DVDs. I feel like Denzel Washington's movies were always like the early DVDs. John Q. You remember when it came yes. to the, the giant box that was the size of a library Oh my book? gosh, that's so funny, God. <laughs> Training, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> Training Q. Day, John Q. Uh, what, what's the fire movie? Walking in Fire? Or oh, what? Man on Fire. Man on yeah. Fire. Denzel was in all the giant DVD cases. He went yeah. through an action movie phase. The yeah. Denzel quadrilogy. It's like, oh, four Denzel yeah. movies for five ninety nine at Manchurian Walmart. Candidate oh. or whatever. You know, Denzel, he, yeah, he always, he played a lot of good guys, you know? I mean, he had the, his Malcolm X role, but then he was known for a lot of these good guy roles. And I, when I was young, I didn't really have the verbiage to say why I like this movie, but I just loved watching it. Now, with my movie wars brain, it's like, like you said, I, I can't say it better than Drew Dick Command. I think back mm-hmm. to what, you know, how Michael Douglas described why they got Jack Nicholson in Wing Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. It didn't really make sense to me when he said the shadow that Jack Nicholson cast. I think this movie actually made that statement clear to me because I think you could say Command or Denzel's power in this movie is so big and his shadow is so big over this movie and everyone else is great. I mean, Ethan Hawke's fantastic, totally. Evan Mendez, all great. Yeah. But Denzel is otherworldly. Well, I mean, here's the yeah. thing, like, do you ever see a Denzel movie where you don't 100% buy him in that role? Oh, I've... Like, when has yeah. he ever really missed? Like, I can't the guy remember is a movie like, I don't like. Well, never, him. but this is but this one is special. Yeah, it I mean, is. This is a superstar at the tippy top of his powers. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion. Yes. Yeah. That's a way to say it. I love that. I like Copland a lot. It's not It's not as good as Training Day, but no. I love it. I, as a Sly Lifer, I'm so familiar with Sly's a body slifer. work. A Slifer. <laughs> that sounds like a blog or a, a website. The Sly Lifer. Come swing by the Sly Life. Yeah, that's right. We're going to look at Rambo's shirtless pictures today. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved, I loved him. Uh, you know, he wanted to do something different here. He talks about it in the commentary. He was like, I took this role because I wanted to do... He was tired of the action thing. He was tired of Rambo 3 and you know, just muscles and he wanted to do something different and I think he I think he does really well and during the casting uh, portion we'll get to more of that but I definitely love his his difference here. Uh, it's not as good as Training Day but I loved watching it. I watched it once with the commentary and once without and I enjoyed both watches you know and a uh, really fun movie so I thought it was you know a little mailed in you know it's kind of a mailed in plot in terms of you know both of these movies had a weird through line in that we had the main story which is Crooked Coppery but then we had mm-hmm. the rush through line and then mm-hmm. we're like cop copland like throws a lot at you at once and they only use dialogue so you really don't you never see the mob in the movie so you you remember i told you this when we were watching it was like within a five minute span in the dialogue it's like if you sneezed like you totally yep. missed well that's what was happening and that's where like the storytelling <laughs> of copland gets a little clunky is like you could tell they had a lot to say but they just would have to really kind of like patchwork a lot of the main plot points into into the film as you're watching it like this town's owned by the mob you were placed in in this situation, Freddy, by the mob, you know, and, and you're mm. like supposed to just pivot on a dime and be like, oh, okay, I've got that now, you know. <clears throat> right. Uh, I read something that basically said this movie is just like a Western where it's, you know, it's like the the town is owned by the bad guy gang and yeah. it, it ends in a gunfight, you know, yeah. like it's kind of like a pretty simple plot structure. That's exactly how uh, James Mangle, the director, d- described it. He said, I wanted to make a Western, but he's like, I didn't want to make like a Western Western. So that's exactly what, yeah. 
You're spot on. Yeah. Makes total sense. A Northeastern he made. A Northeastern. A New Jersey. Before we get into randos, wanted to get into a little bit of our Patreon. More like Patreon. Listen, I'm not going to beat this. I'm not going to beat this to death. If you don't want to get sucked into the mob and you want to stay a good guy, you got to get on our Patreon. All right. You don't want to smoke PCP on the job. You don't want to smoke germ or get wet. (laughs) You want to get special access to bonus content. You don't want to listen to ball shaving ads. You want to hang out with us. You want to do Q&As. You want to support the show and you want to put food in our babies. Let me tell you how shitty one of these fucking ball shaving ads can be. Uh, Do you ever wake up and your wife's like, oh my god, you've got a hamster down there, honey. And you're just like, well shit, what do I do? Well now I've got the solution for you. Ball shaver 2000. Take it down there, you won't feel a goddamn thing. Okay. That was uncomfortable as fuck. I don't like saying it, you don't like listening to it. There's a way around this shit. Take it away, Kyle. Before I knew about this product, I used a machine we all know where that went, honey. Yeah. <laughs> oh my anyway, God. nobody go likes oh, this is squirming. Brutality right yeah. now. <laughs> Let's get back to the podcast. Anyway, go, go, to the link, go to the link in our website. Support us, feed our children, support the show. It makes us better, and we love you for it. Go to our Patreon. It's up here. It's The Patreon's up here where my finger's pointing. I'm pointing. Yeah, yeah we're, pointing we're pointing to, to it. This is an audio-only podcast. Do you see it? Do you Stop see pointing. the link? Put your fingers down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rando's about training day. I didn't know you liked to get wet, though. Davis Guggenheim was the initial first director, and he was going to cast Samuel L. Jackson as Alonzo and Matt Damon as Jay Coit. Both would have worked. Yeah, would have worked. Would not have been as good. Uh, and you guys know I'm sick of Matt Damon. I love him, but I'm just, I'm tapped out, man. <laughs> you were My, sick of him the day he came on the scene. I was just like, all right, that's enough, Damon. <laughs> then they sent him to Mars, and then, you know, yeah. he was a special agent. Was, I'm like, Matt Damon could do anything. You saw Goodwill Hunting, you're like, you know what? I think I've had enough. Growing food with his own shit. I was okay with him being really good at math and cleaning the school. Like, I was fine with that. But uh, anyway, Denzel eventually accepted the role, and then he requested that director Antoine Fuqua be hired instead, so they fired Guggenheim. And uh, yeah, that's how they ended up. Actually, Eminem was also considered to play the role of Jake. So, isn't that crazy? That. Yeah, yeah, Eminem. And Interesting. But he, he was doing 8 Mile. As much as I love 8 Mile, I'm not sure that he would have been the right guy for this. I don't know. The older Eminem gets, he's so moody. Yeah, I but actually he wasn't think older he, here. I, I, well, well, but as he's gotten older, I'm like, he actually probably could have pulled off some roles. I'm not saying this role, yeah. but he's so he's so moody. I'm just like, I think he actually could have played some pissed off roles. Feels like he could have taken that path. Like he could have been like, you know what? He could have done the Justin Timberlake thing. We're like, mm-hmm. I don't know how much I need music anymore. I kind of conquered that totally. world. I'm gonna just go act. He could have done it. And you'll love this. Other people that tested for the role of Hoyt: Toby Maguire, Ryan Felipe, Freddie Prince Jr., Scott Spieben, and Paul Walker. Oh wow! Yeah. So they all, all of t- those guys I could see in that situation. Freddie Prince also he. he plays kind of the uh, the faux innocent dude. Freddie had a moment well. too. He was 90s. Yeah. He was he did great. He yeah. was he was solid in a lot of those roles. A lot of those all those guys you just listed are too pretty. Ethan pretty is not Prince Jr. Pretty, his teeth and Pretty Prince Jr. <laughs> <laughs> pretty Prince Jr. I agree with that. Finish that point cuz I agree. Well, with I just you. think Ethan has this like be- there's a believability that he just really wants to be a cop. Paul yeah. Walker it's like, dude, come on. Yeah, we've been you're there. Too, you're too attractive. Yeah. Go go drive fast cars for a living. Yeah. So speaking of Hawk, this is really funny. So Hawk was an actor but he had hadn't had a breakthrough role yet, I don't think. And he was testing, he was screen testing across from, uh, not screen testing, he was auditioning across from Denzel and Denzel started to improvise with him. And Ethan Hawke was very scripted, very like trying to be on the note. And it pissed off Hawke so bad, like, because Denzel was doing what he was doing in the movie, except he was doing it to this guy that hadn't acted across from him before. Yeah. He got so pissed, he told him to go to hell and got out of the room and just was like completely pissed off. And Ethan they, Hawke? Yes. And they called wow. him a couple seconds. They're like, hey, hey, you got it. You did great. 
great. And he was like, he thought Washington was like trying to <laughs> annihilate his chances of getting this role, but they wow. called him like after he walked out of the room. He's like, you got it. You're good. We love what you did. He told Denzel Washington to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because imagine imagine not being ready for it and the character of Alonzo is just coming at you from across the table. It's like, <laughs> dude, I cannot imagine. I mean, Denzel is like, think about how intense he comes across on the screen and then imagine what that's got to be like in person. Yeah. Seems like it'd be a lot. It'd be intense. If you thought you recognized that coffee shop at the beginning of training day, you did. We've covered that coffee shop before. That's the same coffee shop where. Speed? Nope. No. Seven. Oh, no way. Yep. In seven. So Brad Pitt, the coffee shop where he meets Morgan Freeman. Uh, that's the same coffee shop, but that coffee shop was also used for Ghost World and for Gone in 60 Seconds. So that's a frequent uh, coffee shop wow, in films. It yeah. reminded me of Pulp Fiction. It did. It did have that vibe. Totally agree. According to director uh, Antoine Fuqua, Snoop Dogg was a complete professional throughout the filming, but his fans were not. Yeah, Anytime so where surprising. Snoop Dogg was being filmed, out of nowhere, like hundreds of fans like, <laughs> would come out of nowhere. They were chanting and supporting him. I mean, so, I, I, I kind of can't blame yeah. them a little. As much they as had, I don't like fan culture. like Because they kept disrupting the production, they had to keep escorting these fans off. Apparently, Snoop didn't like initiate it. Like, but people would because, you know, what is he, 6'5 or whatever? He yeah. seems like, oh my God, and they're in LA. So people were just like, like but he was in a wheelchair, so like he couldn't have been mm -hmm. six five in a wheelchair. I don't know if he was the whole time. I don't know if he's going straight method in training day. Do you think? Uh, man, I don't know. <laughs> he's smart. I'm gonna say no. no. Although I think that that totally hey, worked. No. The it whole did. like Snoop in a wheelchair thing. It, it feels like so if good. I had read that read that on paper, I'd be like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Snoop, why are we putting him in a wheelchair? No, but it totally worked. It worked. I loved it. Copland randos. Sly almost Cop passed. Copplando. Copplando's. Slifer. Sly almost passed on this because he. This is his words, not mine. He says that he thought they needed a good actor to play this role. He just didn't think he had the chops. Wow. And he wow. was pushing for a compliment. What am I? Rocky. I, well, I'm a fan. I'm like, you are a good actor. I love you. You're my hero. I love you. In his defense, he's not really known as a good actor. Yeah, he's known as an action guy, Rocky. I don't know. I think I, Rambo, I like his stuff. He's over no, the top. Yeah, he's no Daniel Day Lewis, but I love what he does. Well, yeah, I mean, he was an action dude. He did he made a he made a lot of money doing Rambo and Rocky, just kind of one-two punch, no pun intended, for a lot of years. And he probably got to a place in his career in the late 90s when he was like, hey, I'd love to do just like a drama where there's some However, chops involved. However, if I was that far into my career and somebody, if this is the right movie that I'm thinking of, and somebody's like, look, we're going to pay you X amount of, you know, what was undoubtedly a lot of money to eat an entire Italian wedding cake and get fat <laughs> as fuck. And then you can just work it all off because you have like trainers at your disposal. I'd be like, you know what? I'd probably be into that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Because there's nothing wrong, you know. Everybody wants a reason to eat a lot of food. You think that was it, though? Or are you being facetious? No, it definitely wasn't it. I mean, maybe it I was. was gonna say, though. I just I feel know. like there comes a point when, at what point does he not need to make another few million bucks? Like he doesn't give a shit. He couldn't. He could only. He shoot. was trying to do that because he saw Leota and De Niro, and like he was trying to make a movie, movie, and yeah. they, like again, they were going. I think everybody involved thought this was Goodfellas or Casino or Pulp Fiction, or they yeah, thought and it was on like, paper. It should have been. It that that this was like their kind of their Oscar drama thing, yeah. and it just didn't it didn't work out. Well, Sly is an artistic guy. I don't know if if anyone that's listening hasn't seen his paintings. He has a painting Instagram account that's separate from his normal. He's a phenomenal painter. He went to school in Switzerland. He didn't grow up in the states, or he didn't go to school in the states. He's a very artistic in real yes. life. Quiet. Well, he wrote 
Rocky, for yeah. God's sake. I mean, he's he's an artist. He's quiet, just humble, a, a meathead. Yeah, he's yeah he the Rambo and the Rambo character really isn't a meathead either. Like he looked by the end of it, by the third, fourth, and fifth installment, he looks like one, but he's still quiet. I, I guess I'll protect his village. Yeah, but there's not a lot of dynamic range there. He's True, just, Rocky either. I guess Rocky. Was yeah, kind of one. It is what it is. Uh, Sly said that he was getting a ton of double looks, so people would see him out in public while he was getting ready for this role with the weight gain, and people would give him double looks, and apparently. Like the media fans, people thought like he was just letting him is this go. Is, is this is Sly's bad phase? Like, are we gonna see like rehab stories about Sylvester Stallone? Was the weight an important piece of this character? I didn't. It just to me, it was just more distracting than adding to anything. To I his think character. He, it was. Mm-hmm. It just played to the fact that he was just some schlub office cop from a you know in a small town. It just wasn't. Well, it, it just like added to the. It was the nineties though. Everybody dressed like they were sh- like sl- schlubs. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. I'm, but the funny thing about Fat Stallone is you you could tell that the guy was still like jacked under it all because like you'd look at his arms and like you could see the mm. just like the veins and the and yeah. the muscles even with his fatness. His weight gain mm. looks a lot better than my weight gain. <laughs> <laughs> it's he still got so, that Italian stallion thing dude, going yeah. on. Nowadays they can just, you know, they can just fatten you up with CGI. Yeah. You get Hemsworth and uh, Endgame, he was fat Thor. He was just, yep. you know. Back then and they didn't have what Sly did, which was he ate a strict diet of pancakes and french fries and he said days that he wasn't on set, he would go to New York and in New York there was this place called, I think it was called the Canadian Pancake House. Don't quote me on that, but I think it was called the Canadian Pancake House. And the way he described it in the commentary, he said they would bring out pancakes on a plate that was the size of a trash can lid. And he would just eat it. So he said French toast, pancakes, and French fries. That's all he ate for weeks. I just can't. I, I, I would feel, yeah, you would feel like death after a certain point. Like yeah. two days of that. And I would, I, I would tap out. And it would, it would hit you on so many levels other than physical. Like you'd be mentally foggy. You'd mm-hmm. be, you know, psychologically, you'd be discouraged about your whole life because you feel like <laughs> Which is like, what he needed for the role. Oh, yeah, That's who he was so as a person. He, Fair enough. Life I mean, I guess kudos to you actors out there who can, mm-hmm. you know, I know there's a lot of you that listen. Who yeah. can, who <laughs> can yep. just like gain 40 pounds and feel good about it nope. and go do a roll and then just cut 40 pounds like hey, that's crazy I could never yeah totally especially at that age what was he like in his solid late 40s at that point I don't like, know if it's late 40s but it, well may have been yeah maybe it was really funny during the commentary the first scene where you see a stomach where he's getting out of his bed and his stomach's hanging out he in the commentary he goes definitely a cesarean <laughs> <laughs> and the whole James Mangold and Robert Patrick are on the commentary. They all crack up. They're just like, oh my gosh, it's cesarean. Dude, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Robert Patrick, I was so thrilled to see him. I love him. I mean, obviously being, you know, in T2, just lifelong lover of Robert Patrick. Um, he did three weeks of ride-alongs with NYPD folks to, uh, you know, prepare for this for NYPD police officers. And because he's a Midwestern guy, he doesn't really have the New Jersey accent. So one of the actors, the guy that played uh, Frank Lagonda, is an actor actual real life cop. So he became an actor because he was a cop in New Jersey and New York and he started to get into films. They also kind of used him in a double role where he helped other people uh, like be more authentic as police officers. He helped Robert Patrick nail his New Jersey accent because if you hear Arthur Nascarella speak in real life, his New Jersey accent is out of this world. And so he helped Robert Patrick said he helped him not only become a more authentic police officer but actually get a, a northern accent like Amazing. he had. Amazing. Um, couple more randos here. Uh, Sly had a 
he the dynamic of this cast was really interesting, and I'll definitely talk talk more about this during the casting sections. But because there were so many big actors, you had Keitel, you had freaking De Niro, you had cast Ray was Liotta, out of control. yeah, you had everybody. Um, he said it was because he was kind of out of his element, sly doing drama. He needed a way to anchor himself in his role because he said there was a lot of one-upsmanship. People like I believe it. No one wanted to be outacted on that set, so there was a lot of like, oh, well, De Niro was like, oh yeah, well let's do that again. You know, a lot of competition. Competition. And so he carried a, a Japanese miniature bone carved turtle in his pocket because he asked himself, and this is what he says in the commentary, he's like, he was like, well, what would Freddy be if Freddy was an animal? He'd be a turtle. Mm -hmm. And so he had this little thing and whenever like in between takes, he would put his hand in his pocket, rub this turtle to remind him that Freddy is not Rambo, that Freddy is not Robert De Niro, that Freddy is Freddy. And that was that's his cool, way. man. Yeah. Like a little totem type situation. Yes. And yeah. Yes. That's a good, yeah, totem. Good way to say that. Um, yeah. And that's exactly what he wanted because he said it was so tempting to want to like act because he was intimidated by De Niro and so was Robert Patrick and there was all this intimidation and one is up and he's like how do I stay anchored rub the turtle and so that's how we stayed <laughs> that's how I stay anchored yeah, yeah. that's how I always the rub turtle. my turtle or that's how we stayed dumb and fat so yeah rubbing the turtle it wasn't the pancakes it was the turtle and uh and Sly also another thing he did he put silicone in his ear and walked around New York City because he didn't know what it was like to only hear out of one ear so he kept silicone wow. yeah he put silicone in his ear walked around New York City and he wore it on set and he said on the commentary he's like you actually wouldn't believe how disorienting a life of only hearing out of one ear is he, he's like I was completely disoriented wow. the whole time and so he said it was a complete shock and so he said it really did play into the character so your your life really does kind of become redefined if you lose your hearing completely in one ear because you're mm. on you're, he says you're always looking in the direction of the ear that you hear from and so like you're kind of always wow yeah that's interesting so yeah, absolutely. And so, and this is not really random, but just kind of tagging on the, the casting thing. D like, everybody was intimidated by De Niro. So it was like Patrick was intimidated by De Niro. And so Sly was intimidated. And Robert De Niro was like, they would play jokes on each other. There was this amazing dynamic on that set. So it's interesting. I'll get more to it later in the casting. Just cut that. I'm going to save that for casting. Yeah, you know. Shall we? Shall we? Shall we war? Yeah. Uh, Go to streets with it. Uh, I don't know what's uh, happening. You know, when it comes to the war card, I just, you know... Over the top was pretty good, but hey, Drew, I got the iPad. You got eight. Hey, get that iPad. Get that motherfucking iPad. Yeah. Yeah. Denzel Washington versus Sylvester Stallone. Leading man battle, 2022. Uh, oh, oh Denzel my. versus Sylvester. Yeah, Ooh, I feel like that's, that's unfair. Our, what do you think, Phil? I mean, obviously <laughs> Stallone, because Denzel didn't need enough cake to get fat. Just kidding. <laughs> um, no, it Denzel. Uh, I feel like Denzel would beat a lot of people in much higher level roles <laughs> in much higher tier movies than these. But uh, man, Denzel turned in a insane performance in Training Day. He was a thousand percent convincing as the character that he played. And, and like, I don't know how as Jake Hoyt you would resist that level of seeming just conviction and know-how and experience and just gravitas that he brought to that role. I mean, Denzel mm. all the way. Well said. I totally agree. I mean, he was just, again, he was just in complete control of every, every, there wasn't a wasted breath. It just felt like every line he delivered, it came with like a 
punch. It just, uh, yeah. yeah. I was man. leaning in the whole time. <clears throat> Only Denzel could point a gun at you and you feel like it's okay. Anybody else, I'd, you know, there'd, there'd be a problem. But Denzel, I'd be like, well, he knows what he's doing. Well, just yeah. like that opening scene with the newspaper, how he was just like so condescending, like such a dickhead in the most beautiful way. And then when he was, even when like he went to the projects or whatever to see his lover and you're like, oh, 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 he's with her. And then you meet the kid and you're like, oh, dear God, that's his son. Like, and the way he was like, you all right? You all right? Okay, good. He kind of doesn't care, but kind of does. Yeah, you just get, it's kind of chilling. It's like, oh my God. Because you like him, but you can't stand him at the same time. And you're just like, as as an audience member, you're just like so torn up. You're like, but I love him. I want to root for him. But no, this man is evil. Yeah. Phenomenal. And a lot of that, you know, kudos to the script. I mean, what a. It's just a great, it's a great screenplay. It really is. So yeah. Anyway, Denzel. I'm so glad you saw this movie. Yeah, I know. I'm too. I cannot I, believe. If nothing else, I'm so happy that I'm on this podcast because <laughs> I'm just catching up on all these movies. Phil and I had a had a feeling you would love it. You know, I'll add more. I, I you guys have both said it perfectly. And usually by this time, if I agree, I'm like, oh, got nothing else to say. But there, there's a lot of stuff here. I mean, there were moments. The moments where he shined to me. The the scene that actually comes to me. There's two. The first one is when him and Jake are having a shootout in the apartment building where his his girl friend and his son are and even though like Ethan Hawke kind of has the angle advantage of the gun Alonzo is still like kind of trying to control the game it's like my own my son's in the room Jake my son's in the you know he's like he's all the things mm. and he's just he's still so just like maniacal and using yeah. his son to, to get yes. it, yeah it's disgusting and the shotgun under the bed by the way that's that was wild that was cool that was cool and the last scene is and this is so that one of the biggest lines in the movie King Kong ain't got nothing whatever what is it King Kong ain't got shit on me. That's an improv. So he completely... No he way! Complete, yeah, I, I read that. Co- totally made it up. So many of those. Gosh, I feel like every great line in cinema was improv. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the greatest. How many have we covered at this point? Cannoli, where it's like this line that's boat, epic. It was completely The entire improv. Goodfellas scene at the dinner, at the table, that the whole thing. Wasn't there some taxi driver line too that's monumental? That yeah, was he was improv? during the scenes where, uh, during the scenes where he's, uh, are you talking to me? He just was riffing yes! in there for, for like an hour. Gosh, man. What's interesting is I, one of the things that I loved about the King Kong line is that he's still so big and aggressive, but he also played the desperation when they are like, they're done with him and they're yeah. just, they give the gun to Jake like, hey, we're on your side. The amount of desperation and power at the same time that Denzel showed, I was like, wow, that's a, that's a hard balance to show. He's like sputtering. That aggression is starting to sputter and he really demonstrated that. His This role was controversial. He was a, he was a fan favorite of the NAACP. They were heavily supportive of him. They visited him on set though because they were like we don't think you should do this because they thought it was not advancing their mission and so it really pissed him off Uh, Ethan Hawke talks about this because they thought they could control the role and they thought that it was so they this role was so powerful that they visited him on set like you can't do this you shouldn't do this This is bad for black people that whole thing and so he literally got a visit so there's so much to this role he's he was such a good guy most of the time and then he does this it's like he is the perfect perfect bad guy he's so good so anyway I don't gotta sell it anymore but one of the main reasons I want to do this movie was this performance. So this is an easy. Hey, and I love what Sly did as a fan and a slifer over here. I thought he did great. And I think if this movie maybe Copland went against something else, Sly might have an edge here. No, this is not even. This is this is men and boys right here. So Ooh. yeah, one to zero training day. But we got best supporting cast next on that iPad. Copland, Harvey Keitel, Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro, Peter Berg, Janine Garofalo, Robert Patrick, Michael Rappaport. 
Jeez. That's a cast. It doesn't end. It doesn't end. And we'll throw in Edie Falco from The Sopranos. Uh, Training Day, Ethan Hawke, Scott Glenn, Tom Berenger. Uh, we'll throw in the musicians, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Macy Gray. I'm going to go first. This is a layup for Copland. What a deep bench. What a deep bench. That Yeah, that whole movie was, like, once again, on paper, that movie should have been unbelievable. Yeah, man. Yeah. I was so in it. Like, the cast alone would have got me to the theaters back in Yeah. Oh, yeah. If, if I wasn't only nine at the time so yeah when your supporting cast starts off with harvey Keitel, like <laughs> yeah and de niro well, de niro even... is fourth build yeah, yeah. I mean, for god's sake yeah i'll go copland easy what do you think kyle i uh this is this is tough i am going copland but i do want to add an asterisk i i think some of that stuff i was talking about earlier with the push and pull of there was so much like one uppery on set with these guys like no one wanted to be out acted yet no one felt like they took the lead and it wasn't going to be sly because sly was supposed to be toned down he was supposed to be naive and dumb so he wasn't going to be like out front but it kind of felt like everybody was doing their midline role like if if De Niro's greatest role is Travis Bickle you know he's or or, or Jimmy Conway in Goodfellas he like cut that in half Harvey Keitel if his best role is sport and yep. taxi driver or uh, you know or mean streets or whatever he cut that in half like it felt like they were all doing half except for Robert Patrick that's true that's a great point Kyle actually I will say if I had to pick one supporting actor I would go Ethan Hawke. Mm -hmm. Yes, but if I'm if I'm picking the whole cat, the whole lot of them. Yes, and I thought, um, you know, I really I thought Robert Patrick, which is funny, he was the most nervous on set around all these guys. I thought he was the best uh, supporting actor. Um, and another reason it wins. Listen, I hate to say this. I know Fuqua wanted to add authenticity because he the, Training Day is filmed where he grew up in the neighborhoods where he grew up, so he's very connected to both the police and to the gangs and to the criminals and to the people that just live there. And so it was very important for him to make it authentic, which is why he wanted Dr. Dre, Macy Gray, and Snoop. I thought Snoop did great. I thought Dr. Dre and Macy Gray were wasted opportunities. I don't think Dr. Dre, I think Dr. Dre is an obviously bad actor in this film. I think it would have been better suited to hire a real, authentic actor. <laughs> yeah. I, I hate to say it, because as a fan, I'm a huge fan of his music, and he's such yeah. a gifted musician and businessman, but I thought, like, every moment Dr. Dre was on screen, I was like, oh, oh, like, he's the weak link. Um, so, even though it's a muted... Robert De Niro, a uh, uh, midline Keitel. I still think it beats out a wasted casting of of Dr. Dre and Macy Gray. It's well said. Yeah. My only problem with that cast was just they were. It was just a bunch of middle aged white dudes, and I really struggled <laughs> to keep up with who they all were. Yeah. Spilled like, milk. It's just, a, it's just a bunch of white cops in their forties. I'm like, milk. I'm like, man, can wow. I, God, I know. spilled milk. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Let's fucking give him mustaches and like De Niro and Patrick got these crazy mustaches. Yeah, I mean, say what you want about representation, uh, whatever. <laughs> but I just would love some variance in some age and some gender and some ethnicity so I can tell them all apart because they all look the same to me. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. It was it, they were all blurring together, and they all kind of talked. Especially when you get deeper into the casting with with the with uh, you know the Arthur Nescarellas and things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Phil, what do you think? Oh, I thought I had already given my vote, but I guess not. Um, I I would go Copland also for supporting, just because of the sheer like spiked bat nature of that supporting cast. Like it's <laughs> <Spiked>. <laughs> yeah, like it's just like they don't even 
That's like a roll your helmets onto the field situation. The sheer star power of that cast wins alone, even if they all just stood there. Mm. Yeah, Copland. God, we didn't even talk about Leota. And that's the problem with these big casts. Sometimes you leave off a rock star. One of Leota's, to me, most middle of the road performances. There's moments where it's great. But where were there, was there really room? Where was there really room for any of them to shine? Like they all had, they were all competing for such a marginal amount of screen time overall. I mean, Michael Rappaport, who, who went on to do some really incredible things in, in a lot of different mm-hmm. like movies and television shows. Like he's only in the movie for like the first five minutes and then he's gone, you know? Yeah, I think they all had like a scene that was pretty special. You know, De Niro had a scene in the office talking about like, you know, rescuing cats, you know, stuff yeah. like... Whatever. You're the mayor of Copland. Yeah, and uh, he, uh, what was the scene? Leota in the bar, was, I thought was pretty good. He had a scene when he got pissed when they were playing pool or something. Yeah. That was pretty good. I also want to point out in both of these films, pretty uh, like at the, about the midpoint of the film, they like say the name of the movie in dialogue. Yes, like both uh, movies. At yeah, one point, at one point, training day, he's like, this is your training day, son. And he's like, you're the mayor of Copland. <laughs> I know. It's like, we've got to find a way to like reinforce our brand by getting the name of these fucking movies. I know. see. That's interesting. I assumed it was the other way around. I assumed they wrote the screenplay and they didn't know what to call it. So like, well, interesting. Yeah, it. maybe. Like that, yeah, it was originally title. called. It's, it's in the fucking script. They were both training day. great names, by the way. Yeah. Training day for a movie like, and it literally takes place over one day. Like that's a terrible fucking day. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love how they bookended it where like the first, the first scene is him in the morning with his wife. Yes. Phone call, and at the end, it just ends with him. You know, he's going to walk in. She's like, how was your day? And he's like, right? you're not going to believe this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it was yeah. perfect. It Imagine was perfect. recapping that day. No one would believe you. Yeah, it was really, really well. It's just a good story. Well told. Yeah, the original title of Copland was Copville and then Trash Can Pancake Lid. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> really so bad joke. War, what is it good for? Seinfeld. All right. <gasps> it's tied at one. I love this. By the way, I when I put out feelers on social media that we were recording this tonight, even responses on TikTok and Facebook, people act, there's a, there's a Copland contingency and based just on my anecdotal feedback from fans, it was about half and half. Yeah. I was surprised. First bro category. So you have to use a little bit of imagination here because obviously Alonzo is the one doing the training. But I'm sure Freddie at some point in his small little cop career had to do some training. So if you're a new rookie police officer, would you rather go out and be trained by Alonzo or Freddie, Phil, why don't you kick us Ooh, off? Um, man, tough. <laughs> no, not tough. Not gonna lie, I would rather be trained by Alonzo because I feel like Jake's resistance to all that situation just made the whole thing worse. I feel like if you're some young rookie cop getting sent out there to be like, you know, brought up by this like legendary narcotics detective, like I'm taking it all in and I'm listening, even if I don't agree with it. Because the reality is, like any industry you step into, if one of the greats goes and takes you under his wing, you're gonna see a lot of things that you never even could have fathomed so like Come i on. hate to say it <laughs> Come what? on, what i'm sorry i can't it got are crazy. you smoking pcp it's, can we just talk about the shit that this man went through yes yeah but ha- imagine if jake had just been along for, like in it From, yeah, fuck yeah i'm gonna do all this fucking shit with you you know no then way alonzo would have been no, like balls Phil. to the wall like i found my new partner you know <laughs> Phil, so, we, we've given you a lot of credence on this podcast on the castaway we were both like we we would uh, we would wanted to be stranded with you because we feel like our survivability like you are a man amongst boys here but no fucking way. <laughs> no, he you almost died numerous times. <laughs> but you, you guys didn't think Accused that, like... Accused of murder. Some high of on PCP. Chastised for interrupting the newspaper right off the bat. Can yeah. I read my newspaper? Basically lectured for stopping a rape. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I get it, dude. Give me Friday. I will, take me to New Jersey. I'll sit down with Freddie. We'll have a donut before we get started, and we'll just relax. <laughs> I mean, I got the the crappy part about everything with training day was I understood a lot of where Alonzo was coming from. Like, I, I not to say that like you let yourself get that far down the path of depravity, but like I I mean, you do have to get your hands dirty in those mm. situations. Like, you can't be just like good boy cop and going and busting up narcotics rings. Like, they're those guys. They're guys that go into deep cover for a reason. You do, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and that's, I, mean, I saw that with my dad. It's true. It's, you do have to get there. So I got where Alonzo was coming from. Like, a but lot of his antics. that's not the and, question. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> All that to say, I would I would personally rather be trained okay. by Alonzo because I feel like I'd get the real shit. Whereas whereas Freddie would just be like, I don't know, man. Maybe you want to get go, some pancakes? Maybe we go down to this yeah. restaurant and drink some yeah. coffee and then we'll go watch some people skateboard in the we're wrong gonna, place, you know. We're going to smoke some cigarettes. <laughs> skateboard in the wrong place. True. I mean, I, I already said my piece. I'd rather go to New, New Jersey and chill with Freddie. He seems less stressful. Yeah, we've gone over this. I need to be pampered. I need I need time. <laughs> I need I need a non-threatening environment. I I couldn't handle Alonzo. I respect you, Phil. Ugh. I could not handle Alonzo's thing. His, the minute he chastises me about the newspaper, I'm like, you know what? I'm in the wrong job. I need to do something else because if I can't even talk to you about your newspaper, and you know, this I would be gone in the first hour. Like he's testing you. Though. Here's what I'm saying. I though. know, but Here's, I'm very. What do I always say, Kyle, life is too short for assholes. Yes. And in the newspaper scene, I was like, this dude's an asshole. I'd be out of there. But fuck this See, shit. See, I was in. I was like, this guy wants to teach me. <laughs> teach me, <laughs> sensei. No. Also, no. you take you a know, risk. I don't got time for dickheads. Drew and I will go get pancakes with Freddie. All right. Uh-oh, we got a lead here. <laughs> Cup <Copeland. laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Cupville. Aaron Copland. Hey, we bow down to the scorecard, okay? We, yeah. we give into its power, oh, Lord. But we got a long way to go. <laughs> Oh Lord. <laughs> new style of category. I want to replicate this one across other other ones. This was new. This is called Opposite Day because we got opposites here. We got a fat Stallone and a bad guy Denzel. Who was better opposite? Because Denzel was notably a great good guy. I feel like this Stallone, is Stallone top bill cast all over again. Well, no, this is specifically focused on not just cast wise, but how they differed from their archetype. When you think of Stallone, what do you think of instantly? Just first image. Action hero. Shirtless Rambo, Jack Oily. Amazing. <laughs> Denzel. <laughs> Amazing. Now, we, we think of Training Day now because it was so prolific, but up until that point, he was always notably a good guy or detective or who differed from their archetype more successfully. Um, I feel oh, like that edge in... Uh, follow me here. I feel like that edge with um Denzel is there even in his good roles. Like, to me, that was a natural transition for him to be a bad guy because he just has, like, a very intimidating edge to him, even in the positive roles. Like, even as John Q, he's the good guy, but he, like, comes out of the you know comes out of the woodwork fucking guns blazing like so even in his good roles the dude was was laying the fucking smackdown whereas with uh Stallone I mean you see some hints of like the quote unquote tenderness and Rocky um I it, that's a really tough one honestly because I feel like they both played to their opposites really well I might go Copland on this one because Stallone really played up the quiet dumb small town cop guy really well and in that role you didn't really think of him as an action hero Whereas in Denzel's role, I could even I could see the other side of him in that because he's he's a very intimidating personality. So hmm. I have a problem with the category because I don't really feel like they are actually breaking their mold too too much either of them because like to to Phil's point, Denzel always brings a lot of aggression and a measure of anger and just this alpha presence to every role and and similarly with with Sly, like I feel like he's always kind of a gentle giant. A yeah. little bit. Even in his action, like aggressive roles, he's still like his, who he is 
emotionally is still pretty tender and pretty soft, even though physically he's a big presence. To me, any acting award, it has to go to Denzel. Like whether this was further away, it was still better no matter what. It was, if, if it indeed was a departure, it was a better departure than Sly's, even though Sly's was fine and, and good. You know, I thought Stallone did a really good job, but did he turn in a performance that rattled the cage? No, it was good. It was subtle. His, like you said, the differences were subtle. I felt like Denzel seized the moment and completely owned it. I, I feel like he turned in a, a, the whole reason I wanted to do training day and find a matchup for it is just because that that performance was seared into my brain. And I've seen so many of his films. And I love Manchurian Candidate and Inside Man. Those are great movies. I liked Flight. I like so many of his movies. But this is the one, the minute I think of Denzel, I think of with the stocking on his head and making Jake smoke PCP. Like, it's so seared in my brain. It's like, it was like a life-changing performance. Whereas, you know, I think Stallone makes a nice change here, but it's not, it's not something I'd be like, oh my gosh. You know, it's pretty subtle. So, Denzel, for sure. Tied it to here. So, going along the line of differentiation from the archetype. We had a couple of interesting cast uh, castings here because, and so we already know about Dre, Snoop, and Macy Gray. We had musicians. We also had one of the, who I consider as a failed comedian, one of the best <laughs> female comedians of all time cast in Copland, Janine Garofalo. Yeah. Her partner. I loved her. I'll go ahead and start. Uh, I already told you guys how I felt. I feel like Dre and Macy Gray could have been cast by legit actors. And Macy it's still Dre. Macy yeah. Dre. It would have, again, I love, I love Macy Gray as a musician, but Total Waste. I thought anytime they were on screen, it was distracting. I thought we needed real actors. I thought Janine Garofalo, I really didn't know she could act. Yeah, and she was great. She did so good, and she's one of my all-time favorite comedians, so it was real fun to see her in this. Um, I thought she knocked it out of the park, especially when you just compare it to its comedian versus rapper versus singer, Macy Gray. I go for Janine Garofalo. What do you think, Drew? To me, yeah, I, I go Janine as well, just because I feel like I wasn't distracted by the fact that she was Snoop Dogg. <laughs> like, yeah, That true. whole scene, I didn't give anything... I wasn't talk. I wasn't even thinking about the plot line at all. It's just like mm -hmm. that's fucking Snoop Dogg. Yeah, in a wheelchair. That's hysterical. <laughs> and then I forgot I was watching a movie because yeah. I'm like it's Snoop Dogg <laughs> in a wheelchair. Now, so, granted, Snoop Snoop was I. I don't even I don't even put him in the same ballpark as Dre and Macy. I thought Snoop was awesome. Yeah, I he was him. good. I thought yeah. Macy was kind of like. Bad. Like really bad. Like not. Yeah, just like it was a poor, awkward performance. Yeah, like she in real life, she's a very artistic kind of nimble person, and then her trying to be that character was very yeah, weird. It felt a little stiff. You, that's the problem, and that's why this is an interesting category. It's hard when you cast people that aren't actors traditionally. It's hard to unsee who they are, especially us because we love music in this room. Yeah. We're musicians. I couldn't unsee. I don't. I love try music. to say goodbye, and I don't. <laughs> and then she's like, "Crooked ass cop." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in Janine, well, in the musician's defense, well, I'll I have two thoughts. Janine, a, a, a comic is a, it's a shorter leap to make, to be a stand-up comedian to a serious actor. Because actually, to, I think being a comedic actor is much, much harder than being a serious actor. For a, mus a musician, it's a, it's a lot bigger leap. But in Training Day's defense, they were trying to do the, like, really L.A. thing and appeal to those, like, that audience. And so it made sense that they cast those people. It's a good point. So, but I'll go Janine. Janine. Snoop's my boy. Always Snoop. Snoop. Snoop's awesome. Hey, I wish if, if this, if Dre and Macy weren't in there with those casts, you know, then I'd definitely go Snoop, but. Oh, well to me, they didn't take Snoop's performance down. I don't know. Snoop's performance lives on its own as, as always, as do all of his performances. Yeah, but you have to like, it's, you gotta do the math and it spits out an equation. Well, Snoop it's is a three thousand. of them averaged out against Janine is how I interpreted that question. Not. Yeah. And we get a lot of Dre. Dre is in it because he's he's one of the police officers. 
officers. He's part of he's part of Alonzo's crew. So we get frequent Dre. We only got a little bit of Snoop and a little bit of Macy. But the Dre and the Macy is just like, ah, just it just scrambled my brain. But you going training yeah. day. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're wrong. It is three to two. Copland with a little bit of a lead, but there's a lot of time left. Best good boy characters. We got good boy Freddy, good boy Jake fighting against the evil man, the corrupt police officer. Dude. Who plays the best? Who's the best good boy? F- Phil, you kick us off. I mean, Jake, easy. Strong safety. That guy was unwavering, except for his momentary needing to, you know, prove himself by smoking. But like... PCP. Yeah, I mean, he... That's a leap, by the way. Can we talk about that? He, he stood up to Alonzo and like, you know, pointed a gun at him and, mm. you know, eventually took him down. So that's a hell of a, you know, moral stand on your first day on the job with your new unit. So Yeah, I think it would have been really easy for him to be a pushover, both in his character and also as an actor. And I think that both the character and Ethan's performance as an actor held up really well against the opposing force on screen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Dude, that scene where, like, you knew shit was going to be real in that movie when Denzel's like, you need to smoke this. Like, you need to know, I know what it's it like. The, it's the awkward, that tension, and, the and, conflict. Yeah, like, and oh, like, God. Ethan Hawke was like, no, man, uh, no, I'm not going to smoke it. I'm not going to smoke it. Denzel like, you're going to fucking smoke this. And, and Ethan's like, no, I'm not going to smoke this. Dude pulls out a fucking gun and puts it in his head. And it's like, oh shit. Dude. That's what we're in for here. And we're only 20 minutes into the film. Like, dude, yeah. And honestly, like the, the moment to me, the movie climaxed when he was in the bathtub with the, like the Hispanic gang or whatever. Oh. And he called, like they found that random purse that he pulled scene. from the girl that was being assaulted. And he called her and like the whole time like oh god she's gonna lie she's gonna lie yep. and then he's, oh, gonna, he's gonna tension. splatter this dude's guts all like like yep. the, yeah I was just like <gasps> finally when when she told the truth and he was like telling the truth I was like oh, if I could breathe again like it was just like that man. was good I mean like it was kind of oh how convenient but also it was just really engaging cool storytelling oh like, yeah don't get me wrong the plot device was flimsy as hell yeah. oh he just happened to grab her wallet and okay and that's the pink that. purse yeah so I mean I'm with you it was a flimsy uh, you know, from a, a plot standpoint, but that doesn't to take away from the drama. Oh, it was the so good. It was so well yeah. done. I love that guy's name was Smiley. Yeah, also. I want my name to be Smiley. You know, or Frowny. Where were you today? I was at school. (laughs) And we have a category for this, but we had Tuco, Raymond Cruz, who is Tuco in this movie. (laughs) Oh, yes. He's so Tuco. This is why he became Tuco, because he was in this movie. Oh, my God. Tight, tight, tight. (laughs) Shit. Yeah. Dude, that guy is, his character. He is like, his so character intense. was so cringy. Yeah. Um, what I do go, you think, Kyle? I go Jake because I can see why they cast Ethan Hawke. This category actually made me think, like, oh, I think this is why they cast Ethan Hawke. It's along your lines. He could have been a pushover. And one thing that Ethan Hawke, and I think this is why maybe why they hired him, because when he got pissed off at Denzel for going off script, I think they wanted him for that reason because he's going off script as a cop because his partner, the guy training him, is corrupt, and he doesn't just take it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, And he does it early when he's talking about his wife. It's just in the first six minutes of the movie. Yeah. And he's like, listen, he tells him twice, leave my wife out of this. And he gets pissy with him. He gets yeah. hard-headed with him about it. And I'm like, he's sowing the seeds really early in this movie. He's not straight up defying Alonzo, but he's yeah. saying, listen, like, I have fucking principles. You yep. know what I mean? And I love, I thought Ethan Hawke delivered that. So I thought Jake, I loved how they slowly built. And then you get that backstory with Scott Glenn, by the way, Jack Crawford, Silence of the Lambs. I don't know if you guys caught that because his goatee with mm. the guy that played Roger. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. He's Jack Crawford in Silence of the lambs he doesn't look anything like it that scene where he's like strong safety from hollywood high i'm like oh i kind of like 
that little backwoods plot device, strong safety, that just added to his characters. I love the good boy Jake, so training day. We're tied back up to three. Oh, here we go. Best ending shootout scene. Now, they're different. Denzel doesn't really fight back, but it's a huge shootout. And then we got this crazy Copland, the only real action. You get, like, maybe three real action scenes in Copland. The ending shootout was a gem to me. What do you think, Phil? Best ending shootout or shooting? I feel like I want to go training day because of the speech at the end and how that whole thing ended, like, where he's, like, sees the entire neighborhood turning on him and he's, like, screaming at him and, like, you know, you're not shit without me or whatever. Um, I, I think, honestly, like, Ethan Hawke's performance in that shootout scene where he, you know, has the wherewithal to keep that kid safe no matter what and still does what he needs to do. Um, that was a insanely intense and it felt very real, that whole scene at the end of training day. So I'll go with that one. Yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, I was kind of expecting the whole neighborhood to be like, oh, fuck this cop. Like, this yeah. is our dude. Like, he keeps us whatever. And then, and maybe that's, I don't even know why. Like, where was I supposed to? Because, like, then when he turned, like, they all kind of were like, no, 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 let's see how this plays out. Like, we've never seen this guy challenged before. Like, and they didn't protect him. I just wasn't expecting that. That was a way, there's a lot more drama and emotion in that moment to me than anything in Copland. Well, there were also- You shot me in the ass! There were also <laughs> seeds of moment, like, these really quick scenes where they showed the resentment of the neighborhoods that he would go into toward him. Yeah. Like, there was that scene where I think one of the guys was like, they were like, dude, this fucking guy, like, why the fuck is he here? Kind of thing, you know? <laughs> And so you get this vibe that like, yeah, Alonzo has uh, some respect in the neighborhood, but it's probably only because of the badge, but everyone else sees him as like a traitor or a scumbag, you know? Right. So they were just kind of more than willing to sit back and, and let it play out. I go training day as well. I thought two things. I thought they really, I know this is Denzel acting his ass off, but also the writing here is really interesting because they really found opportunities to, did you guys feel this way? I feel like we saw the full Alonzo and he went down. And when the Russians shoot him, like they unload all that lead oh, into is that his car. The shootout we're talking well, yeah, about? I consider that whole last scene because think about it. Because they delay him, he has to be there at midnight, not a minute yeah. past. And Ethan Hawke, because of that, delays him. Yeah, I wasn't the, thinking about that as yeah. the shoot because that to me wasn't a shootout. They just yeah. fucking bop, popped out of their murder. cars and unloaded <laughs> yeah. on the guy. Like to me, the shootout was between Alonzo and Ethan Hawke. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a good way to look at it too. I think you can lump them together or whatever. I, I would I would just say those ending sequences, yeah. right? I think Alonzo's character was so fleshed out like even when he no one's on his side anymore and people are walking away from him he's been abandoned he's going to be late to the Russian meeting so he's good as dead he is still screaming I you know he's just I will have all y'all I will delusion put. and like I was just like not only is Denzel killing it but the writing did so well so it's using a great plot device I really liked how the ending shootout was filmed in Copland but then the this is where Ray Liotta kind of didn't act as well in my opinion as he did in Goodfellas and and is shoeless Joe Jackson. All of a sudden that shot, all of a sudden he's here and he's got a gun and he's backing up like we just, I don't feel like we had enough like whereas Alonzo was fully fleshed out. I don't feel like we got enough development on that character to think that he was he would feel the conviction to come back I and back that, him up. I think that was the fault with Copland as a whole is yeah. there was no development of any character. Yeah. Like it was, you were, like the story was the character that there was a town that cops lived in and like all these people were just kind of like set pieces in that story but you never got that character development in Copland, which is why when kind of it all it was all said and done, 
like there was really no emotional attachment. Whereas in training day, like you, you got to know Jake and Alonzo pretty damn well in that one, you know, two hour slash one day period. Yeah. They just hadn't earned it. Whereas Alonzo, like every moment was earned, like as yeah. a, as a fan and where it with all of a sudden when Ray Liotta's character shows up, it's like, Oh, he's, he's just going to back him up now. I did like that. He was fully deaf now. Like I thought that was an interesting, interesting little twist. Oh my gosh. I don't think we're surprised. Although uh, Drew, you were sweating. You, it was a little closer than you like. I was a little nervous. Four to three. Like Coplandia. Training day. And what a joy to not only talk about one of my favorites, Training Day, but also talk about a Ray Liotta movie the week after his passing. Uh, God rest your soul, uh, Ray Liotta. But, Man, uh, yeah. uh, you know, King Kong ain't got nothing on this episode. So I'm going to just leave it there. I love you guys. I'm Kyle. I'm Drew. And I'm Phil. That's right. Do you have a movie wars license? A movie wars license. A liquor license to work? <laughs> the liquor license.